0: Well, we're starting something new. We're starting something new, and Kirsten did an absolute amazing job on that intro. It's uh, yeah. I feel like a major league player who has my own walkout music now. I was so terrified it was going to be the Hamsterdams, so i'm I'm glad that this is an up, upgrade there. Uh, sometimes we get disoriented. you know, this last week. As this is being said, we know a lot of you watch later, Uh, Jimmy Buffett died, and one of his last songs he wrote was called Bubbles Up. And that's what you teach divers, because when you're underwater, it is so easy to lose all perspective and not know which way is up. And that's a very dangerous thing. And so you're taught to release bubbles and follow the bubbles. I believe that Christianity has gotten twisted, turned around. It's lost its place. It doesn't really know who it is. Sometimes that happens to all Christians. How do you put bubbles up? How do you find something that works? I, as a minister, have been very, very open, uh, and and remain open about it to this day, that I'm not a God-said-it-that-I-believe-it-that-settles-it fellow, but rather, I need to wrestle with God about some things. I need to work my way through and I have doubts and I bring those up. This sometimes comforts people, (laughs) other times it, it doesn't, but I'm going to give an illustration of how we're going to start this. First of all, thank you for watching. We actually have the highest live viewership I've ever seen on the counter this morning. Um, and that is very encouraging. We are going to hit this subject so hard. Two questions. What what kind of God made the world? And the second, what kind of world did God make? We're going to hit it from two directions. Years ago, I did a series called God at War. We'll talk about that later. There's some of that in this. But we're also starting a week from tomorrow. Not tomorrow, because tomorrow wraps up A part three in our Monday morning messages on how to read scripture and Becky Floyd did an amazing job this morning. Uh, We're going to put that up. So on the 18th September, or as you would say over here, September 18th, because it makes all the sense in the world not to go day, month, year. So anyway, uh, September the 18th, uh, we will drop a long form video, about an hour and a half. I actually wanted to go longer, but my voice wouldn't let me. So Seems an hour and a half is going to be the sweet spot there. We're going to release several of those. They are not the same content as the sermons, but they both are heading the same direction. They're not the same bubbles, but they're all headed up. About 30 years ago, I was a minister for Growing Happy Church and struggling. And I came across an essay by Richard Rice, a theologian and author. He led off with the two questions that rocked my world, and their simplicity was amazing. But the weight of the questions was even more amazing, and that is, what kind of God made the world, and what kind of world did that God make? At that time in my theological journey, I was wrestling with trying to find a view of God and a view of us that matched all the high parts. Um, the, the witness of scripture, this, that was in the intro as well. Uh, Christian tradition, not heavily weighted, but it should be considered. Free will. How much free will do we have? Do we have any free will? All of that has to be put in there. Reconciling faith and science, as you know, is something, an ongoing thing in my life, and I believe they, they can be and are, but it's still something we have to keep working on. And then this last, which was personal experience. Some people seem to live in a magic world. We'll talk about that. I think it's in the seventh sermon in this series, but they live in a magic world where they act like whatever they pray for happens and God's blessed them with parking places and straight teeth and new job and everything is just wonderful, but I was wrestling with how does this work whenever we pray for people when they die? Uh, we ask for safety and we don't get it how does this all work so the problem of evil the limits of free will how to read and interpret the scripture all of these things I was wrestling with and wrestling is the correct term they didn't mildly interest me it was a wrestle and about a decade later still wrestling and frankly not making that much progress I wondered if I could keep my faith even as a minister for a large congregation over a thousand members, and growing. And then I came across a book by Gregory Boyd called God at War. It's not about war, not about nations, fighting nations, but rather the kind of God we have and the kind of world he made. And it's not too much to say that that book saved my faith. And it launched me on a trajectory that continues to rise and secure my faith to this day. So I read a bunch of other books uh, by Richard Rice, John Sanders, Clark panic William Hasker, um, David Bassinger, and others. And it resulted in a series that I called God at War, lifting the title from Gregory Boyd and giving him credit at each lesson and leaning heavily on the book. Now, this is not a repeat of that series. I will cover the same ground. That said, in our notes, because we're really picky about this here at R. Safe Farber, in the notes which are always placed in the video, in the comment section, uh, in the description rather, they're always there in a PDF form for you to have. We will always credit the authors that I'm leaning on at the moment. The same way that we always make sure we have copyrights for the songs and we have the right to do them the way we do them, we want to always credit the artists, the scholars, the workers who've gone before. And so, we will do so. So, as we do that, how do we start even answering this question? Knowing that all this literature is out there, but it is not yet filtered down to the average Christian. Their scholarship is not a bestseller. It is very, very well done. Um, I don't, in fact, I'm blown away by the scholarship. Gregory Boyd's book, for example, when you pick it up in the, in the library, at the bookstore, wherever, you might be afraid of the, if it helps any, about a third of that are footnotes and bibliographies, which for a lot of you go, great, I don't have to read that. For me, great, I love bibliographies, because I love tracing things back to source material, and um, these guys do that. Now, let's get started. More Christians have something called Calvinism in them than you might ever expect, than they would ever expect. John Calvin was a French theologian and pastor in the Swiss city of Geneva in the early 1500s, and he wrote a series of books called Institutes of Christian Religion. They are very complex, they are very thorough. He wanted to cover every aspect of Christian thought, faith, doctrine, and practice as he saw it. And many denominations openly credit him with the foundations of their faith in whole or in part. Others didn't know that they incorporated it, but they did. Calvin saw God, and see if you, how you feel about this sentence. God is absolutely sovereign. And man is absolutely powerless. If you ask most people, most Christians, they, they would nod in humility at that statement. Not understanding what that really means and where it places God. In fact, he would go so far as to say, and did say with some force, a person could not be saved unless God first reached out to that person. And if God did so, you would not be able to resist the Spirit of God. And please note, a lot of Protestant and independent churches cling to Calvin. And in fact, in the teachings in my old tribe in which I was raised, the Churches of Christ and the Restoration Movement, they have a lot more Calvinism in them than they would ever admit. In fact, I've watched them vehemently deny such. But I think as we progress through this, you're going to see how sneaky Calvinism has been, and how warped that then, and powerless, that has made our Christianity. It has permeated so, so much in the last you know, 500 years, as teachings like this will do. By the way, you will almost never see a church with Calvin's name on it. But if you'd see a church that says Reformed, that means that they are following the five steps, more or less, or the five principles, rather, of, uh, of Calvinism. And by the way, it's a lot of millennials, if they're flocking to church, are going to these because it gives them these solid piles of faith and a worldview that gives them comfort. And I will warn you that this series, both the sermon series and in more detail in the long form videos that start being posted on the 18th September, are going to take away some of that. You're you're going to lose some of your security blanket. You're going to be thrown into a universe which is not a made-up magical universe, but which is the the universe that is. Which is full of mystery, contradiction, order, beauty, and chaos. In fact, if you ever watch, for example, the pictures of the web telescope come in, I, I challenge you to point out the difference between chaos and beauty. I am not sure that you can do so. Last night, my wife and I were sitting on our back deck reading, which is one of our great pleasures in life. And we have neighbors that have kids. And kids' volume are all the way up to 11. All of them. And they are going, just talking over each other, at each other. And I looked over at my wife, and she's looking at me, you know, just smiling. And I said, you know, when they first moved in, they apologized for how loud their kids are going to be. But I'll take the laughter of children over the sound of gunfire any day. Chaos can be beautiful. Well, Calvin's teachings, what are they? Here we go. We're going to look at them in more depth later. But right now, you just need to know the word tulip. Because that's the word he used to help people remember. Tulip. T, total depravity. WE ARE BORN IN SIN AND WE CAN DO NOTHING TO HELP OURSELVES. TWO, UNCONDITIONAL SELECTION. WE ARE NOT CHOSEN BECAUSE OF OUR CHARACTER TRAITS, BUT BECAUSE OF HIS SOVEREIGN DECISION ALONE. LIMITED ATONEMENT. JESUS DID NOT DIE FOR EVERYONE. JESUS DIED ONLY FOR THE SAVED, NO ONE ELSE. IRRESISTIBLE GRACE. IF GOD WANTS YOU SAVED, YOU WILL BE SAVED and perseverance. We generally knock that down to once saved, always saved. Those teachings, now that we've said them, some of you are going, well, I've been taught that. Others you are going, no, 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 no. Cool. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that most of our viewers and listening, listeners do not agree with the doctrine of total depravity. I cannot look at a baby and think, well, that kid's riddled with sin from Adam and Eve. The original sin is just going right through that kid although most churches do, and in fact the NIV, which I love the NIV, especially whenever they rejigged some things and moved it around in 2011, I think they did a great job, but when it comes to translating flesh or your body, they will do our carnal body, our, our mortal flesh, they will paint it as a dark thing, and I wish they wouldn't do that. But again, there are no perfect translations, because they're all translations. But again, so don't be worried, don't throw your NIV away. I'm using one today, and I use, use it extensively. Um, in fact, if you follow the Wednesdays, it's going to be in October, isn't it, that Rick Hunter and I are, are doing the Wednesdays together. And he and I, um, I'm, you can't pull something on Rick, I just asked him. I just said, well, what versions are best? And most people would be deer in the headlights, but I knew he wouldn't be. And we had a great discussion. So that one's coming up. Tune in there. Most of us believe babies are innocent and sin enters their life sometimes whenever they're smart enough to know about sin and they choose sin. For some people, they'll say that's 12 years old because Jesus at the age of 12 said he should be about his father's business. Jesus wasn't trying to set a marker there. Some kids earlier... Some kids, a lot later, come to an understanding of right and wrong and make their choice one way or the other. So don't, you know, human beings mature at different rates. Just walk through a middle school, you will see this. There's no need to be pedantic about a number. But what about the, the doctrine of unconditional selection? Well, I'm here to tell you that that doctrine has destroyed faith. In Scotland, where Calvinism took root, very powerful um, by a Scottish preacher who, was, who believed Calvin taught everything correctly. And his name was John Knox. And he came to Scotland and he ruled with an iron fist in the religions to the point where people were killed. Including members of royal households. Because his religion was stark, devoid of beauty. And this continue, unconditional selection. Before you're born, before the creation of the world. God decided whether you were going to go to heaven or not. And there's not a thing you can do about it. Now, I find that to be appalling. And yet others believe, no, no, no. To question that is to question the sovereign knowledge and will of God who knows all things. But think about it. I have talked to many people in Scotland and elsewhere where Calvinism used to reign. And now atheism reigns. That will say, well, what's the point? What's the point of going to church? What's the point of trying? If I'm going, I'm going. If I'm not, I'm not. It's not up to me. Can you see how that kills evangelism? I would even say it I kills praying. I've asked Calvinists my entire life, why do you pray? It gets to be a very awkward question. It's a side note, by the way. One of the reasons, I mentioned my old tribe in which I was raised, Churches of Christ, the American Restoration Movement, which would include the Disciples of Christ, the Independent Christian Churches, and a few others that sprang off of there. One of the main reasons that ever happened was because its early people were taught, the Presbyterians, which were Calvinist, and other doctrines, which are Calvinist, and they stood up and said, no. People like Campbell, but also mainly... Walter Scott, not the famous guy that wrote the poems in the books, but a man studying for the ministry in North Carolina, and when he was asked to sign the Westminster Confession of Faith, which by the way, we never make you sign anything here, and Al and all of them, you know, Gary are correct, we we bring you in here. We don't put up gates to keep you out. But whenever he was asked to sign that Westminster Conf- uh, Confession of Faith and saying that it was true, he wrote as As much as it follows scripture. And it took them a long time to let them decide to let him be a preacher. But even then, he kept looking at it and went, no. And they left and they formed these independent churches that have become what they are today. Do people believe in the all-knowing and God has a plan and everything has been planned out ahead of time. And God has got, yes they do. And I'm going to tell you that the Bible doesn't teach that. And that's going to be upsetting, so I'm going to ask you to hang on. In fact, I'm going to tell you what is really upsetting. What's really upsetting is when tragedy hits you loss of a job, cancer diagnosis, a death in the family. People rush up to you and say, God has a plan, God will make a way, God's timing is perfect. Is that helpful at that moment? For some people I think it is. It's their security blanket. But what if we tell you that we are in a universe where we are not alone and not everything out there likes us. And that the universe God made plays by certain rules. And God himself being righteous has limited himself to be never being able to do anything outside of his character. So let's, let's pull back and ask ourselves, in God's perfect plan, did he plan the death of your child? Did he plan the loss of your job? Did he plan the drunk driver that took out a family? If so, what kind of God made the world? And that's a hard question. One of the most prolific and respected writers and preachers in the last century and one of the men that pushed the doctrine of scriptural inerrancy the hardest was R.C. Spruel. He died in 2017. In his best-selling book, Chosen by God, he said this, quote, If there is one single molecule in this universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled. End of quote. Did you get that? let's do that again, quote, if there is one single molecule, if you didn't pay attention in chemistry, it's really small, in this universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled, end of quote, that has the appearance of a statement of great faith and piety, it is not, It is a slap in the face of a God of love. And I'll explain why. A statement seems to appear to stand for the wisdom, the power, the, the, the greatness, and the ability of God. But no, no. Another example, then we're going to put this together. Recently on Twitter, which now tries to call itself X, and I have no idea why that's necessary. I even tweeted do we X now? But I I tweeted that it made me feel awkward to click on an app marked X when my wife was out of town. I felt like that seemed unfaithful at some level. But regardless, there was a reaction against a sermon by a, a conservative Protestant preacher of some note. I will not name him. Why? I would not agree with the sermon, and I don't agree with the books that he's written, but that's not the point. The point is, he said in his sermon that we're made of atoms and atoms aren't even alive. And religious Twitter went nuts, laughing at him, jeering at him, mocking him to make such a statement like atoms aren't alive. Atoms aren't alive. Atoms are not alive, period. There's no definition of life that atoms meet. Let's go a step higher now we're creeping up on point, molecules aren't alive either. And you can stack a whole bunch of molecules together, and they won't be alive. They have to be the right molecules at the right time, in the right position, and and the number of things that have to come together before we can call something alive is quite a list. And we also know that every atom that is now making up you has been here since the moment of creation. Because one of the few things we can absolutely say is that matter nor energy can be created or destroyed. So the atoms that are making up you were making up other things before. And I got news for you. The atoms that are making up you aren't the same atoms that were making you up a few weeks ago. Yeah, I know. If you could see the transmigration of atoms and molecules, you would go insane. And so it's a real good idea that you can't. And it's one of the 50,000 reasons why racism is idiotic is because every time you walk down the street you're trading atoms with everybody that's there and if right now you're thinking about public restrooms going ooh ooh too late but those things <laughs> who knows maybe you upgraded you don't know you don't know <laughs> that said every little packet of information in your brain is a set set of chemicals put together chemicals are just molecules and they're arranged in a certain way and then it's electrified with a certain charge and it's fired across the gap a synapse between two things The little fingers here these neurons then connect and they either accept or reject as these keys are flying across is really what they are to open and close different thoughts and all of that to say every thought we have every action we take Involves untold trillions of atoms and molecules. To say that God is in full control of them at all times means that you're going to have to blame God for every murder, every theft, every rape every concentration camp, every war every invention of war and war material because they, that occurred in individuals made up Of atoms and molecules. And they're in our universe. So to say God has mapped out everything. Is to say that God mapped out what Hitler did. And Tojo. And Mussolini. Are you ready to do that? By the way, there are stacks of books. And we could not fill the sound stage. And you don't see much of it. It's a lot bigger than you're seeing. Uh, We could have that whole band, couldn't we? No, we don't want to do that. We we want to keep everything simple so that we annoy everybody in equal ways. That's the important thing. All of this could be filled with libraries of books a hundred times over by Calvinists trying to find a way to make this work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. God's not in control of all the chemicals out there. Not all the molecules. He's not even in control of all the people. And right now Calvinists are running around the house. But let me, let me just bring it to you this way. If God pre-planned everything before the, the beginning of creation, then he pre-planned that you hear what I'm saying today. Wonder why. Millard, not Milton who was a, Milton Erickson was a uh, psychiatrist who did amazing work in that field, Millard, J. Or Millard, I don't know how you pronounce it here, J. Erickson's book, Christian Theology, says this, quote, There are no areas that fall outside the purview of his concern and decision. End of quote. By the way, he goes on to stress that that includes all human things as well, including evil decisions. Is that the kind of God that made The universe? Calvinism's libraries have not answered it to me. I've lost track, but it's easily been well over a hundred books I've read by them trying to rationalize this. It, It isn't. But when we take away the idea that God is in control of every atom, every heartbeat, all of history's up and downs, We're yanking away a very comfortable thought. A spiritual lovey. Before you panic, may I point out something very interesting here? We live as if we already knew that God had not pre-planned and pre-ordained all things. Even though our preachers may say something else, we already live believing in this deep inconsistency that God loves us And we will say, God cannot change his mind. How many emails have I received? God cannot change his mind. Do you pray? Why would you do that? Because if somebody's sick and he ordained the sickness, why would you say, I would like for that person not to be sick? Why did Jesus pray, give us this day our daily bread, if that was already in the pipeline and it was coming anyway? Why did he tell us to forgive others when we had no choice? It's because we do have choice. We do have free will. And people will use free will as, well, you know, people have free will to do. Yes, they do. But it doesn't stop us from asking God to interfere, interfere with somebody else's free will. You ever caught yourself doing that? Do it all the time. Oh, Lord, make that person nicer. <laughs> make that person much Make that person agree with me so we can be at peace. You know, those type of prayers, whether we are that stark about it or not, we do that. You know, Lord, Christmas is coming up. Please let that ant not spoil everything, right? Why why are we praying? We act as if we don't believe what people say that they do believe. We're, We're caught in our world between God's sovereignty on one hand, our free will on the other. But that's actually the wrong battlefield. By the way, free will is not absolute. There's an American myth. A lot of you watching in other countries don't know about this. About time we revealed it. In America, there's a myth that you can be anything you want to be. Nope. No. I can't play for the NBA. Period. Period. I can't play for a moderately acceptable high school basketball team at all. I've had people say, but Patrick, if you'd started early and you'd practice (laughs) and... No. I will now demonstrate my vertical leap. How'd you like it? (laughs) No. I cannot be an opera singer. I cannot be an astronaut. They're pretty picky on not having people to get motion sickness by standing up going in spaceships. So free will is limited, isn't it? God's sovereignty, are we saying it's limited? I'm not going to say sovereignty, but there are limits on God, and we're going to talk about that. Maybe not today, but we're getting there. Do we have a dictator, a heartless God, or do we have a God of love? Or is there a doctrine, a way to to put all of those things we ask about at the first, your experience, faith, religion, uh, the testimony of scripture and Christian tradition and get them to work together, yeah there's even a name for it, and it's called open theism, God is open to us when he asks us, and says come let us reason together, it's not a trick he really will reason with us so, uh, this was just a setup sermon. Uh, it'll it'll get deeper as we go, but I I I got faith in you. You can hang in there, and besides, especially with the format of our Safe Harbor, you can stop and go back, and stop and go back, and you can go grab the other videos, and you can compare and contrast, and then you can email us because as you have found out, we do respond, we do come back. If we feel like the the discussion's a never-end discussion, we might let you know that. But we generally, you know, three, four, five times, we do it our best shot. What is the most important attribute of God to you? I'm not going to ask you what's his most important attribute, because we'll be here all day, won't we? And everybody, every answer will be valid. But what is his most important attribute to you? I think it's love. If there was a God that had all of the other attributes, but not love, how safe would you feel? Love is it. And and love is more than care and commitment. It involves being sensitive and responding as well. And if God had already planned all this ahead of time for you to do this, and he'll do that, and Abraham and Jesus to, uh, to, to go back and forth about the numbers of Sodom... If that was all pre-planned, then it's a farce. And we are nothing but automatons. We're, we're nothing but robots. No wonder that some people have left Christian faith and gone to deism, which is, says that they believe there is a God or a force equivalent that made the universe, but it's not doing anything here. It kind of just made it and went away. has no involvement. While others...